From Atlanta, Georgia, where our voting laws make George Orwell look tame, it's the Whole World Improv Podcast, brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here's your hosts, artistic director Chip Powell, and a man who calls his oven the big metal thing under the microwave, John Mahalik. All right. Welcome out to the Whole World Podcast. I'm Chip Powell, Artistic Director from our theater here at 1216 Spring Street in the heart of Midtown. And joining me today is my co-host, John Mahalik. Hey, everybody. It's great to be here. We're back for part two with Jim Isa and Lance Crawl. Very excited to put a continuation on this you know, I think what they have to say is really important for even the generation of the world now to hear, you know, because a lot of people don't know how we started and what the struggles were. Very, very excited about that today. Yeah. And today we're focusing on something that I, I, I had no idea that whole world theater could have been in L.A., That is true. That was a plan at one point, but we ended up staying here and producing a television show with Turner South and Turner and went on to do several other uh, small pilots, as well as working on one now for the Whole World Web Show at www.wholeworldwebshow.com. So, uh, hey, here with the continuation, John, take it away. All right. This is the L.A. story. Let's go. The promise of television comes in and, you know, I was so in the mix and, but the idea was that we were going to move to LA and all this craziness began. What were your thoughts in the very beginning of television coming to us? You know, it wasn't just like a passing fancy. We were going to move to LA. Like we made plans. There was a point in my just personal artistic sort of, you know, yearning for something more and we were just doing shows you know uh, we weren't filming anything and we just had the one side of our theater company i had called webster and i said hey man thank you for everything my time is done here i'm moving to la um i feel like i've hit the ceiling here and i want to move and he says then we're all moving and i said huh (laughs) and we had a meeting at the theater and he said, I think we've hit our ceiling here. I feel the same way. And let's all move to LA and everyone in the theater. It wasn't even like, I don't even think there was a lot of debate. I think it was like, great, let's do it. Let me just start with just, so when we decided we were going to move to LA, I think it was just me, Phil and Webster went to look for a theater company. God, I'll never forget listening to, um, do you feel like I do driving through LA, like just music cranking. And it just felt like, this is what life could be, you know, like it was just so cool. And, and then we would, you know, we would go look at these theaters that were like these tiny little holes and they were just something that we would never be able to afford. Right. And the whole idea of like, all right, we're going to move here and start over and hope that somebody finds us or discovers us, which was, you know, completely naive, but we were 25 and 26. And so that, that notion was there, but I will say, that having been on that trip, realizing like we can never afford any of this kind of stuff and why would we bother? There was a there was a something happening at the same time where I was working at a production company. So there was a hint of this is possible to do it here in Atlanta. Uh, there's a lot more to the story from, from going to LA looking for theater companies to building it out here. But it it basically started with us with the discovery of DV cameras. Like when DV cameras came out right at the same time that we started, it was all of a sudden affordable 
And we found an investor who was willing to put up the money to at least for us to create our own show. And I think yeah. that, you know, the investment money, the deciding that, you know, LA was just not really very realistic. And then this, and I, and I, I don't, I'm not taking credit for this, but this connection with Fran Burst who like, Fran was like the matriarch of Atlanta production. And she just kind of helped us connect with these different production people who are like, we'll come in and help you figure out how to wire it. And we'll come in and we'll help you set it up. And we'll come in and help you figure out what to order and buy. I mean, that honestly was a huge jolt to be able to do this because we didn't know what we were doing. And so we just kind of figured it out together. And we were like, okay, if we're not going to go to LA, we're going to make a TV show ourselves here. We're going to teach ourselves how to make TV. And we had some like um, some guys from TBS that were friends of ours and or or you know fans of the theater that sort of like helped us set up. But really, it was just us filming every single theater company. I mean, uh, improv show for the next couple of years and learning how to like cut them together and switched a lot. I mean, it was like a completely new experience. And so we were having to learn how to play for the theater and for the camera. We also had this whole new tech crew that was like learning on the fly. So they were sort of like involved in, in the process as well. And then for whatever reason, our theater company's popularity exploded or every show was completely sold out. And then an almost equal or if not more than what's fit in the main theater was a spillover crowd that was in this other side just watching the live simulcast of our show. So we would hear laughter coming from the other side of the wall. We would hear laughter from inside. We were walking in between each, you know, in between our scenes, we'd walk into the other room and see <laughs> hundreds of people in there. And we'd be like, what the it's hell is insane. happening? Why are these people here? What, why do people like our theater company so much? It was a mystery to us. We were enjoying the hell out of it, but we were also beside ourselves. And, and and I don't think it really ever truly, you know, like I don't think we, we never took it for granted. And we were always beyond thrilled and pinching ourselves that that this many people would come to see our dumb little improv show. And it it, it was uh, you know, it was a it was a real happening, you know, I mean, it was a real institution. It became, it became a, you know, the place to go. I and mean, we were sold out months in advance for our shows. You couldn't get tickets, even if you wanted to. And so that's why the spillover crowd happened. Oh, and then, so, so just sort of, you know, off of uh, the, the filming. So then we, we actually felt like we got good enough at, at making these shows and I don't know if it was someone from Turner South. It, uh, there was a channel called Turner South back in the day that played like Graves games and stuff like that. Oh, no, no. A guy that well, lived Lynn across Marks. the street from us, yeah, that me and Jim David was Rudolph. like the executive in charge of Turner South. We pitched him to basically do whole world theater on their channel. And we would just, you know, our, our thing was like, we had these, you know, shoe boxes. <laughs> full of, yeah. of tapes. And um, we would just pick the best moments from those shows and sort of cut them together. And they aired it. And the show was called Last Hour Live for whatever reason. Because it was um, the last hour Saturday night. It was like Saturday from 11 to 12. There you go. There last you go. That's live. why. And so that aired. And we did, I don't know, what, eight, eight, eight episodes or something like that? 
Mm-hmm. And then they were like, wow, this is great. <laughs> and then I, I think I could tell this story. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Webster was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go back and negotiate for a second season. And we're like, oh, Webster. Webster can negotiate anything. He got us the spaces. He got stuff for free where he should have been paying for it. Like this dude, he's going to come back. Probably, we're probably going to own the studio. Yeah. Um, uh, he came back and he's like, we're not doing it with them anymore. And we we're like, what happened? And he was like, they, I, don't, I don't remember the reason. So we're like, oh, that's, that, that sucks. And he's like, that's okay. We're going to, you know, we're going to set our sights higher. We're going to, you know, put together a pitch for someone else. We were trying to sell the whole world TV show. So me, Lance and Webster drove to New Orleans because the, because NATB was happening, which was the National, National Association of Television Producers and Executives. So we were going to go with our shoebox of tapes, you know, these like VHS tapes of our show and sell a show. So we drive to New Orleans. It's $700 to get in. We didn't know this, by the way. We We didn't know it was $700 to get in. So we get there. Webster buys one pass to get in and then get some. And then we get shoelaces, which was like a lanyard to get in. So then we got just shoelaces and tied them around our necks and stuffed them in our shirts. So they looked like we all had passes, but Webster had one. So he bought one pass. I have a camera and Lance has a microphone and Webster has a shoe bo- a box, you know, backpack full of these tapes with the one lanyard. So we just kind of walk in like we own the place. Right. And this is huge. This is hundreds of thousands of square feet of studios and television networks and millions and millions of dollars put up for people to sell their shows. And we bought one pass and we had a camera. And basically, Lance did his man on the street routine with anybody we passed, including celebrities. And one of my favorite lines was he approached this, these group of white men. And, you know, you could tell they were very serious executives. And he's asking questions and he leans to one of them. He goes, and if I smelled your nose, would it smell like his ass right now? And it was just like, these people have never been spoken to that way in their entire lives. And all their reaction was, who are you with? And and Lance just said, he gave him some bullshit line and left. They were chased down Webster to find out who we were with. And they were like, took the card and they were executives at like big ad agencies or something like, like just being what we did and the balls, you know, that Lance had to do some of this stuff, just really just, we didn't have to sell ourselves. We were just ourselves and that that kind of sold it for us. And it was that was the perfect way to pinpoint how we worked. We just did whatever we did to the furthest extreme with the least amount of money possible, uh, except for the $600 strip club receipt that was turned in on a napkin that night. <laughs> you know, it was all about just raw energy and performance and just saying, you know what, we're going to do what we do and somebody's going to notice it. And that's, that's how it kind of, that, you know, that's how we worked back then. Last year or two years ago, I was a member of the Emory swimming pool for the kids. And um, David, the, uh, the, the exec from Turner South, who's now, you know, obviously Turner South, not there anymore. He's like, Lance, Lance crawl. And I was like, oh, Hey, how are you doing? He's like, I'm your old neighbor, Turner South, blah, blah, blah. I was like, Oh, that's right. How's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And we started talking. Uh, he goes, man, I, I, we, we all, you know, we so enjoyed uh, working with you guys on our network. And uh, he was, those were the good old days. So I was like, yeah, too bad we couldn't do more. He's like, yeah, we, we wanted to. And I was like, you, you wanted to? And he's like, oh yeah, we, we, we were going to, you know, we were going to do as, you know, I mean, it was, we were going to keep going, but uh, Webster uh, 
kind of made that impossible for us. And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, he's like, well, he came in and said, I'm not going to do it unless you pay me a million dollars. <laughs> a million dollars. Uh, and they're kind of like, we can't even, we can't even like <laughs> this. You can't negotiate with that. Like there's, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Maybe go up like 10%, 20%, whatever. Like, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't like we were a hit. By any means, we weren't like pulling in, you know, giant numbers at all. I don't even know what numbers we were pulling. It was on Turner South. So he like walked in there and he's like, I want to do it for a million dollars. And they were just like, okay, well, nice to know you. Um, and that was the end of that. So just so, for yeah. reference, we were getting $14,000 an episode all in. Like that's how much each episode was. So to go from 14,000 to a million is, you know. <laughs> That's a that's a decent jump. So, uh, well, you can't blame him for shooting for the moon. If you want to see what Chip and I look like, and why wouldn't you? We're both pretty handsome guys. Catch us on Twitch Thursdays through Saturdays. Subscribe to the Whole World Improv Theater channel. That's theater with an R E because. Fridays at 7.15 is the You Overslept Show, better known as the Yo Show, where Black Lives Matter. And if you don't think so, then find another podcast. So 26 years, Whole World's been, you know, uh, you know, affiliated as a nonprofit 501c3. But, you know, you guys were there even before that affiliation started. 26 years of friendship. I got um, my best friend right here that I found at Whole World. And she hey. And hey, I, Emily. You know, to know that these friendships and bonds form and happen. Like, so what's your journey? Like, you know, you know, where are you now um, from your Whole World experience? Let's start with Lance. Well, I moved to LA and was out there for 16 years and, you know, went out there as an actor. I, I think all of us that started that theater company are very entrepreneurial. We have that sort of spirit in us, you know, um, whether we want to or not. I'm always like telling my wife, like, I don't know why I always have to do everything the hard way. I, I don't know why I can't just get hired by someone and just work for them. But I was very entrepreneurial in Los Angeles and I quickly sort of was like, why am I waiting for people to give me opportunities? Why I can create the myself. And so, you know, I shot a, a sketch comedy show with Jim and all my buddies from whole world ended up selling that um, to Spike and then sort of became like a more of a, a writer and a performer and a producer. And then it eventually led me back to Atlanta, um, where I started another business where I, you know, again, just too much work. Um, but I started a company called Picture It Productions that basically, um, develops television content out of the South. So, you know, we're sort of like looking for, you know, uh, TV ideas from sort of an untraditional place, which is, you know, anywhere outside of LA or New York. Um, and as far as like friendships are concerned, you know, we're still, <laughs> still great friends with Jim and, and pretty much everyone in, in the cast. And, you know, we're all adults and we have kids now and stuff, but like when we do run into each other or see each other or whether it's planned or unplanned, it's, it's like no time has passed. Um, we're still completely, you know, in love with each other as human beings. There's, there's basically my family, you know, and I'll never have, I'll never have a, um, friends like that again, you know, at that level, like where, 
you know, I have friends and I've, I've made a lot of friends, but no one knows me inside and out. No one has seen the best and the worst of me. And I have an A, you know, and, and vice versa. You know, we all just, we all got, you know, we were all in that gauntlet together. And, you know, it's like, obviously we're not military, but like, it's like that, you know, it's like we went, you know, we went through so much with each other, so many highs, so many lows that, you know, our friendships are forged in fire, you know? Jim, your journey, man, you left whole world. What happened? Uh, I left whole world and I started uh, editing, you know, I was still acting for a little bit and remember just getting audition calls and just not being really interested into it in it. So uh, then I, I got into directing. I won a, you know, a pretty big film festival early on in my career, which kind of helped launch uh, my career into a kind of a, a different level. And I've been directing and producing for 20 years now, mostly, you know, mostly commercials, but I've done a couple of movies and it's, it, you know, it's funny because I'll, I'll be on set and I'll be directing a scene and I kind of play all the parts as they're happening. And because of improv, there are, there are times when the actor will say something that I can instantly know, like that is the right thing to happen right now. Like somebody, we need to build on that rather than what we wrote sitting in or what an agency wrote, you know, sitting in a room that was safe and away from this environment. And that, you know, all that training, just being able to be in the moment and find the space and you know, so many times when you're directing a scene, somebody wants to just start in. You're like, no, no, you have to have a moment of being in the space before we start, before I call action. And I want you to play there and I want you to be present. And I want you to find something that we didn't plan and make it real. And all that training that we did and taught and said and, and did in front of people thousands and thousands of times over and over again it comes in handy with every single shoot because nothing goes exactly as you planned. So you're finding solutions in the moment and having that improv background really, really uh, helps me as a director. And it also helps me communicate with other actors because they don't want me to just say, say it this way, do your hand like this. You know, I can give them a suggestion um, similar to an improv beat, which is what all these games were right they were all acting lessons so sit stand lean as a visual you know how to watch your partner like yes and i mean all these things were 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 just ways to become better actors before they became improv games so having i'm able to pull on that stuff as a director now and really i think actors enjoy doing those scenes even if it's a commercial like they get to find something in the moment that wasn't scripted and it also helps me during the auditions to know who's like funny and who's just kind of like, hmm, they're just doing that thing they do really well. Well, I have to say that um, your legacies live on here. Um, I, I don't think there's not one person that can't do a Christopher Walken. <laughs> but so let's start with Lance. All right. I, I need oh, no. <laughs> this is not part of the, the deal. Yeah. It's, it's our podcast. It is part of it. it is a little bit. And um, <laughs> so, Lance, I need you to give me, as Christopher Walken, your a summary of your last trip to the grocery store. Oh God, I haven't done this in uh, a very long time, young man. This is called an ambush. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, to the grocery store. Yeah. Um, oh, this is gonna be so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to really get into the grocery store now. I'm not making I, I can't just. Okay, here we go. I was driving to um, 
market the other day and I found a bagel with cream cheese and I put a lox on it, you know, that's a salmon and you eat the lox with the salmon and it was missing cornichons. I was like, where's the cornichons? And they said, cornichons, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you got to put cornichons on the lox and bagels. And so they put the cornichons on and I ate it. It was yum. It was yummy. All right. That's it. Done. Fuck off. Yeah. Uh, Jim? Jim? But no, Jim's got to do, he's got to do his Bill Cosby. Oh, okay. Like, he does the Bill. Oh, yeah. Here we go. That's, that's way better. <laughs> Somebody let me out of this prison. And I walked into the jail cell this evening and I thought for myself. I, I can't. I, I don't, I don't want to do anything that, that no. Fuck that. Lance gave us some comedy gold. So. I found a, I found a pudding pop, but yeah. it was in my butthole. Speaking of pudding pops, I'm gonna take a shower and go, and he's gonna put the thing in my butt, and then I drop the soap, and the soap will come up, and I'll be all over the. And then the people, the skinny. pudding pop, with the people. <laughs> yeah. Those were fun days. That was, I mean, literally, it was literally Lance and I and his truck going. Pudding pops. No, that's terrible. That's right, pops. There's a bunch of the people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yep. Oh, my God. Those are fun. Wow. <laughs> well, guys, I, I, we want to thank you so much. That was like watching uh, That was like watching Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. fight. You're like way past their prime. You kind of felt bad for them. But you're like, oh, you guys used to be good at that. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's it was more like watching them at Olive Garden, like fight over breadsticks, like not even not even in a boxer <laughs> Oh man! We're launching this whole series with uh, alumni, just trying to uh, bring folks back in and get their stories because we got so many generations that have passed through here that we want them to hear your stories and hear your history. So. Uh, we want to thank you guys for being on with us today. Thank you, Lance. Thank you, Jim. I'm Chip. This is John Mahalik. This is Emily Riley Russell right over here on the side. Thanks for tuning in with us today, guys. We appreciate you. Thank you. It was a Thanks fun. for having it was, us. Uh, it was a blast. Absolutely. Again, Chip, I'd like to say we interviewed them, but mostly <laughs> they talked to us. They're well, laugh riots. I think that, you know, when you've got two people that were here at the very beginning that don't want to shut up about what it was, just shows you how much excitement still carries over after all those years to still want to tell this story. And it's a great story to tell. And I'm glad that we had them on. So we look forward to many more. And coming up next week, we are going to be joined by Michael Snow and Annie Humphreys, two amazing alumni that I can't wait for you guys to check in with. I'm excited. You know, I know Annie a little bit, really looking forward to talking to Michael Snow, both of them together. That's a lot of improv experience right there. My best friends and I travel with them all the time and it is nonstop polarity no matter where we go. And that's why I love them so much. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Thank you so much for joining us here for the whole world podcast. We will see you next week. That's right. We will. And for those of you wondering later on, we will have the travels with ship segments, but for now, tune in next week. Thanks for listening to the Whole World Improv Podcast. 
and keep enjoying that new podcast smell. The Whole World Improv Podcast is a production of Whole World Improv Theater in association with Headspace Industries. The executive producer, writer, and generalissimo for life is Chip Powell. The producer, writer, and everything else is John Mahalik. Every Everything else. What, what the hell does that even mean? Original music by The Gentle Readers. Please help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. John's therapist said it would be good for him to receive some validation, so don't let him down. Whole World Improv Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit theater. Please support by donating at our website, wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, it's tax deductible, so you're not only supporting the arts, but you're sticking it to the man. Additional writing and voiceover from me, Kate Arlo. And never send John to Starbucks. I'm still waiting on my venti mocha latte mochaccino voya rosca uh, mocha chocolata marmalade drink. I don't know. I panic every time I pull up to the window. I don't know about you guys. It's weird. It's like I feel like I should have it down by now, but I don't. it's been a long time. It's uh, like one of these days. I'll say it smoothly. I won't stutter. Huh. <laughs> I know there's a size up from um, Benti, and it's always a bad idea. Don't do it. You'll be shaking for the next two days. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Don't put that on the podcast. <laughs> I, I make no promises.